Sales Paradise, Episode 14. Sales and Marketing Magazine called me one of the top five tra- trainers in the market. I actually, I asked them why. I was really curious because my philosophy is it doesn't matter that you know you're good. It matters, no, it matters that you know why you're good because then you can replicate that success. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. <laughs> On today's episode, we have Colleen Francis. She's the owner of Engage Selling Solution, and Sales and Marketing Management Magazine is called Colleen and Engage Selling, one of the five most effective sales training organizations in the market today. She was also an inductee into the Speaking Hall of Fame. Welcome to Paradise, Colleen. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. And I got to tell you, I love the title of your podcast because for me, selling is a paradise, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> if we are good at what we do, we write our own ticket. And is there any better profession than that? So, Yeah, that's exactly it. the... Um, it's funny because I I do love the beach. I love you know the thought of that being paradise and I've, I've capitalized on it. But that I was thinking more of kind of your take on it. That's kind of like the overall theme, you know, just making it your own paradise. Exactly. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Well, you know, I was looking as far as you graduated with political science degree. <laughs> at what point did you say, hey, I want to leverage this and go into sales? Well, I do come by my sales career, honestly, in that I grew up in a household where my dad was a salesperson. So all through elementary school, he was in direct sales. Um, and I think he became a sales manager sometime when I was in high school. But my dad used to take me on sales calls with him when we had a day off school. My mom would kick <laughs> me out of the house and, and send me on sales calls. And my dad made physical sales calls. He was in the paper um, envelope, um, you know, kind of business. And so I would get in the car and drive around and make calls. And so I always had a really positive feeling about sales because everything I had in life, you know, every vacation we went on, every piece of clothing I wore, every time, you know, the family splurged and took us out for dinner, my ballet lessons, all those things were paid for by a sales career. So I didn't have this negative connotation. I think also because my dad was in sales, I was one of those kids who, when we had to raise money for band or soccer, you know, trips, I had to go door to door with those chocolate bars. He would not take them to the office. So I sold poinsettias, chocolate bars, spices, wrapping paper, all door to door in our neighborhood. And so I had this early indoctrination (laughs) of selling as well. Well, I love that because no matter what you really had gone into, uh, that would have been valuable experience. You know, you could have used that no matter where. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when I came out of my, I I originally studied political science because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then, quite frankly, I just was, you know, sick of school. I got, didn't, wasn't interested in law um, or any of that kind of profession anymore. And so thought, hey, I have some friends in sales, um, and they're doing really well. So maybe I'll just go do that instead. And I did. <laughs> well, and that's what's great is a lot of people feel like, you know, when they go into college, uh, even though if you're going into some areas of, of a career, it does really matter what you major in. But but really, even if if you were in basket weaving, it doesn't mean that you can't have a successful career in sales. No. And I think, you know, an arts degree, which I have in poli-sci, 
and in especially in political science, is great for sales because you have to learn critical thinking skills. You're forced in political science to take courses on all sides of the issue, you know, right, left, yeah. uh, fascist, communist, philosophy. Um, and you learn a broad, you have a broad education about world events. You have to do a lot of writing and researching. Um, you have to do debate and a lot of speaking. And so those kinds of things, communication in general, are great for a selling environment. Yeah, it's like you're trained to also see the other point of view, like you absolutely. mentioned in the debate, yeah, yeah, which absolutely. that's important in sales. Yeah. I know that your career, obviously, you're helping so many people with um, your experience and also what you've learned. But tell me about some time in your career that uh, you felt like, okay, you know, this is such a disaster. I don't want anyone to know about it. Uh, tell us about it now. <laughs> Where to start? There's a lot of those. Uh, I have a lot. <laughs> well, there is. Okay. So um, my very first experience in sales. So I was recruited. I spent six weeks in training with the company. Um, I went back into the field and I sold nothing for six months. And I was being paid a draw against commission. So uh, I was being paid, I think, $2,000 a month for six months. I got nothing. I was $12,000 in the hole. Like, literally, I owed it to my company. Um, <laughs> and I remember sitting in my manager's office, and he made a comment about having to teach me how to sell. And it was like I had every ounce of self-restraint that you could have at 22, 23 years old, where I wanted to say, well, you tried that once, and look at what happened. <laughs> Um, but I, you know, I didn't, thankfully, <laughs> smart move on my part, um, and rebuilt my career. But it was really embarrassing because people around me were successful. My family, you know, had no choice but to know. And I felt like a huge failure because I just couldn't make it work. And rebuilding and having to repay the company back um, and relearn how to sell was a huge challenge for me because up until that point, I hadn't had that kind of failure before. I mean, sure, I'd lost soccer games, but I hadn't really had that kind of failure um, in a professional capacity or even a personal capacity. So, well, so you actually had to pay them back? Yeah, yeah, because we were paid like it was a um, a draw, like a draw, a, exactly. So if I made more than two thousand in the first year of the way it worked, if I made more than two thousand dollars. Um, they would put the balance, the, the difference into my draw account if I was behind. If my draw in the account was um, was flush, was was uh, um, equal to the value, then I'd get paid more. But because I was behind um, every month, they would suck money out and put it. Was, <laughs> super frustrating. And of course, I'm sure every seller knows that when you're in the hole, when you're not making money, you become desperate and you do bad things. You make bad decisions. You call on terrible customers and you end up in a, um, a downward spiral because you become that desperation really drives your sales behavior um, when it has the exact opposite effect of what we really need as salespeople. Yeah, and that's a very good uh, and very important point as far as it's, it's tough for someone in that spot to really look at the big picture because of the desperation. Yeah. Which that, uh, that, I think that's why it's important for people to even know that, you know, those mentors that we have or those people that are top sales, you know, reps or, or people like yourself going out and training is you've been there and that's, that actually has helped you be able to coach people because you know what they're going through. Absolutely. And in fact, when um, Sales and Marketing Magazine called me one of the top five tra trainers in the market, 
I actually, I asked them why I was really curious because my philosophy is it doesn't matter that, you know, you're good. It matters. No, it matters that you know why you're good because then you can replicate that success. And one of the things they said is because you tell people what not to do as well as what you do. <laughs> I thought, I think that's a compliment. But <laughs> you basically tell people your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was pretty yeah. funny. That's, that's awesome. So, well, I see that you've written three books, and the most recent one being uh, "Nonstop Sales Boom," which I love yeah. the the title of that. And and I've looked as far as uh, looks like there's some great information in that. Can, tell me about that book. Well, the book came um, because of some real life experience I was having with prospects um, and with clients. And a number of times, um, I would be talking to people, and they'd say, "Colleen, we don't need you. We're having our best month yet, or we're having our best quarter yet." And then a few months later, they would call me and say, oh, my God, things have gone off the rails. We don't know what's happened. And it happened enough times in a row that I thought, okay, there's got to be a correlation here. This cannot be a fluke. And what I noticed in studying their results is um, sellers who have – who are having their best year yet are spending all their time closing everything in the pipeline. And they're excited about that because closing is what we love to do. But as a result, they're not doing any of the front end work to refill the pipeline. And they are not doing that for two reasons. One, they think, woohoo, look at this. I never have to do that horrible cold calling prospecting work again. My ticket <laughs> has been written. Um, and so they check out of it. And then also, we just have this sort of short-term memory. We forget about that work. And so we get so consumed in the fun part of our business that we forget that for every sale that closes, it's one less in the pipeline. So the pipeline then dries out. Everything that can close, close. Everything that's lost is lost. And now we have to rebuild. And it takes a long time to rebuild a healthy pipeline. So my clients were going through these phases where they would say, best month ever, and then they'd have two or three months of no sales because everyone is rebuilding the pipeline. Then they'd have a great month, and then they'd have two or three months of poor sales. And I realized this had nothing to do with seasonality. Uh, it had nothing to do with market conditions. It had everything to do with personal behavior. It was completely self-inflicted. Yeah, that's something no matter where you're at in your career that you're vulnerable to. Absolutely. I mean, you have to keep being reminded about that because, it, like you said, it is such a tendency when we struggle so much to you know, build that, that, um, you know, that funnel. Yeah. And then, and then it's like, we, we get to reap the rewards. Um, yeah. It's almost like, okay, well now I've got to go back to the dread of, of, uh, filling it, you know? Yeah. Is that something that you'd ever, I guess, made the mistake of before yourself or you just saw in other people as you were studying it? No, I mean, I did definitely make the mistake early in my career as a consultant. Um, I had one quarter where I, just thought, what the heck has, what happened in this quarter? I have done as much business in this quarter as I did last month, you know? And, um, and I think as a consultant, um, I was just, I got so busy delivering material that I forgot that I had to keep selling material. And so for me, that was the beginning of this investigation into creating a steady state of growth because I, I realized it happened to me. And it was, it was quite funny, actually, because I was moaning and bemoaning as salespeople do, right? Oh, my market sucks. <laughs> my customers suck. No one wants to buy. And my husband, who wasn't working with me at the time, kind of looked at me and he said, why don't you just start doing what you tell your customers to do? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's almost no. like our kids are telling us to follow our own <laughs> advice. Yeah. I mean, I will be the first to tell you, uh, men out there, don't ever say that to your wives. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, 
quite honestly, it was the truth. I realized that I had made that same mistake. And so once I realized it and recognized it, I could immediately correct the behavior. And so now, even in my own practice, um, and from that day forward, I made a vow to myself that I'm never going to finish up work at night. I am never going to close my computer and go to bed without doing at least one thing to put something in the top end of that sales funnel. I'm going to follow up on one lead. I'm going to make one call. I'm going to send one email. Because once you're in the habit of constantly regenerating new business, your sales pipeline never dries out. So that's Um, a key takeaway for sellers. The other big piece here, though, is you have to understand and embrace um, what we call in chapter three of the book, the sales math. And that is understanding the conversion ratios between a lead to an opportunity and an opportunity to a close. Because once you understand how many leads you need in order to create the right number of opportunities to create the right number of sales, then you can manage your business entirely objectively. And it doesn't become this subjective, oh, I better make 100 calls today. It becomes this objective, I need five more leads to fill my pipeline. And that makes sure you don't under or overwork. I'm assuming that with every industry, that number is going to be different. So they just look at yeah. past data and Absolutely. and see, okay, well, yeah. In fact, I think, um, now that you mentioned that by industry, uh, I generally use some... Um, um, some standards, like I, um, I generally will say it's about a um, 30 to 35% closing rate from opportunity to close and around a 25 to 30% from lead to opportunity. But if you really want to get granular on this, I believe that the HubSpot website or HubSpot blog has a calculator that shows close rates by industry. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll make sure to put yeah. that in the show notes when we put them on. Yeah. Now, um, one, of the, one of the areas of your book, you talk about how to create customer evangelists um, and epiphanies. Well, what would be some steps? Because I know that's one thing that so many of us do is when we do get that customer, we're so excited and we move on to <laughs> the next one. So what do we do to make them actually an evangelist? Uh, there's a number of things. And you know, it's really important for us to remember that customer evangelists are so powerful because if they're referring people to you, those leads close at a much higher rate than a cold lead, right? Yeah. So we want these people advocating um, on our behalf Um, And the piece that doesn't get talked about a lot, too, is when you do have customer evangelists, they tend to be more loyal. If somebody is got a video or a written testimonial or is talking positively about you in the marketplace, chances are they're not leaving you. And um, to create a true nonstop sales boom, you have to hang on to a lot of your customers. So there's a few things we need to do with your current customers. um, We need to get them up to speed quickly. What I mean by that is we want to onboard them and have them using Um, the full breadth of what they've purchased from us as quickly as possible. So we don't want to be in that situation where they've bought, as one of my clients' clients said, I bought from you a VCR, but I only know how to use the record button, right? (laughs) Like there's a whole lot of other functionality on there. And he said, I can't buy anything else until you teach me how to use all this functionality. Um, I realize a VCR is an old metaphor. (laughs) Actually, I'm still trying to figure out how to make the, the light from blinking. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I know. We all are. Um, But it's the same with um, whatever it is you're selling. If they're not using it or they haven't deployed it to the full capacity, they can't be full evangelists about it. So as sellers, we want to stay on top of that. Second of all, um, we want to be doing health checks and talking to our customers. Are they happy? If they're happy, why? Don't just take a customer's... 
compliments. You guys are so great to work with. I love your product. You make me so happy at face value. Say to them, hey, I appreciate that. I'm curious why. What have we done to make your life, your work um, better? And then ask if you can capture that. Can I share your success with others? And whether it be a written testimonial or a video or an audio, all those formats matter. So turn those successes, use those customer stories in all of your marketing. Um, and in fact, even if you're big into industry conferences, see if there's ways that you can use that customer success to showcase a customer panel or a case study or a joint presentation. Well, I love the, the I guess, the imagery of, and again, some of the listeners may not even know what a VCR is, but whether it's that <laughs> or, or whether it's, say, the iPhone, you know, sometimes sure. you know, we get that and we don't know what, what, all to, uh, what all to do with it. But as far as if they don't really understand it, they're more likely to be lured away to another company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so then let's say you get to the point where you have a, an account that is just uh, one that you think, okay, you know, they're really, it's not a win-win. How do you get rid of them without burning your bridges? <laughs> <laughs> Which I took How that you from your book. So I'm, <laughs> is what you're saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's a number of things that you could do. So if they are... If it's not a win-win, you know, they're actively paying and using your customer and they're not disrespectful, disruptive, or um, unprofitable, um, I would demote them, not fire them. And what I mean by that is you don't have to treat them all equally. If your business is such where you go out and see your customers physically um, on an occasional basis, for these poor customers, just relegate them to phone or to email. Or um, one of my clients goes through an exercise every year where they take, you know, the bottom 20% of their customers and they assign them to an inside sales rep as opposed to um, an outside sales rep. So they're, they're moved into more servicing as opposed to um, managing. So they're reactive instead of proactive. So that's one thing you can do. Now, in doing so, an inside salesperson may be able to pay more attention to them because they... They can be more efficient, which means they might actually drive more results. So that could be a positive thing. Um, but you don't want to use your best and most expensive sales resources on your least profitable customers. Now, if you really need to fire them, right? Like if they're unprofitable or mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, which that happens sometimes, um, then I, and you want to cut off service, then um, I think it's fair to just say, um, I, I no longer believe that there's a fit between what it is you're trying to accomplish and what we can provide you. And so we are not going to renew your contract. Here are three or four customers or three or four other suppliers I think would be a better fit for you. Now, give them some notice, right? Don't cut them. Don't tell them that on Tuesday and cut them off on Wednesday. Um, but, you know, I think if you do it that way, if you just say we're no longer a fit for you or we don't think we can um, meet your requirements anymore, here's two or three companies I suggest you start talking with or here's a referral to a company that I think is better suited to your needs, your service will be ending with us on September 1st, then that's a way you can do that without burning your bridges. Well, I like that where it's almost like a transition, you know, and like you said, you're trying to help them. So if that particular customer is your Uncle Bob, you tell Uncle Bob, look, <laughs> you're still invited to the family reunion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so on your, your book, as far as some of the other books, are there any quick notes on those before we move to the next step? Well, I would say that the second most popular book that um, that we wrote is a book called Honesty Sells. And it's interesting how um, it's... Uh, um, 
developed a bit of a resurgence in the marketplace. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I wrote it with um, a colleague of mine named Stephen Gaffney, who works in honest communication. And what we found and what's really interesting in the book is it's not a book that says don't lie to your customers, because I think everybody knows that. Um, But it's really a book on how to build trust in the marketplace by making sure that um, you're communicating and doing exactly what you said you were going to do. So it's not necessarily about don't lie. It's, hey, if you tell the customer you're going to get back to them on Tuesday, get back to them on Tuesday. If you say you'll have a proposal on Thursday, get back to them on Thursday. And so it gives the reader all these small little tips and tricks to build a deep level of trust so that you have customers who you can grow with. And, you know, those seem like just no-brainers and things that we all know, but I can't tell you how many times I've experienced on the other end, you know, where people haven't done it and it just it really is a bad feeling and it's something that I've you know, realized, okay, when I do that, I need to really make sure that I follow my own advice. Yeah, absolutely you do. Well, now we're at the part of the show where uh, it's called the last call lightning round. So um, we have a few <laughs> questions. Uh, so are you ready for these bullet point questions? I sure am. All right. Well, first, um, tell me your favorite, oh, I guess uh, a lot of people have a lot of favorite quotes, but tell me a favorite quote that you'd like to say today. One of my very favorite quotes is actually the motto of the British um, SAS, Special Air Services, and it is simply, he who dares wins. And I love that quote because in sales, we have to take chances all the time. And so if you step out there, um, you're going to win. Oh, I like that. And what about a favorite piece of technology or app? Well, favorite, I mean, first of all, all CRMs. I'm just going to go on the bandwagon and say, use your CRM. (laughs) But for most of us, we travel extensively and I could not live without the TripIt app. Um, It's, I don't know if you've ever used it or if anyone who's listening has ever used it. How do you spell that? What? Trip, like trip it, IT. And all it does is it creates, it sucks in your airline, your car rental, your hotel. You can put in um, the meeting address of where you need to go, and it creates an online itinerary in the app for you on an hour-by-hour, day-by-day um, formula. And it includes maps for anything that has an address, too, so you can click on it and go right to Google Maps and get directions. It does automatic notifications of your flights. So if your flights are being delayed, canceled, rerouted, it automatically updates so you get a notification instantly that says your flight's delayed or early. Um, it's it's a one-stop shop for all travel organizations. I like that. Good tip. Yeah, it's fabulous. Or right, what about um, a book that you'd like to recommend to the audience? Oh, well, besides my own, of course. Yeah, <laughs> or all three. <laughs> Available at your favorite bookseller. <laughs> um Wow. Um, you know, I'm going to recommend a genre instead of just a book. Oh, yeah. Because I think sellers get sometimes too wrapped up in reading business book after business book after business book, and it can become confusing. I would encourage sellers to read biographies of great leaders um, so that they could really understand what they did in a real life scenario to become that great leader. Well, that's a very good suggestion. Yeah. We okay, need to well, sometimes get out of the business books in order to maintain our creativity. Well, yeah, because it all affects our business. But yeah, yeah. sometimes we get too laser focused. Exactly. Well, what about in the morning, like when the alarm goes off? Uh, what what happens? What, what's your routine? <laughs> <laughs> do you well, scream I, and um, run? <laughs> that's actually um, what I do. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I preset my coffee so my coffee's ready. 
<laughs> after maybe a little grogginess, I roll downstairs and grab coffee um, and come back to bed. And I like to start my day with um, catching up on the news. So I read the news often first thing in the morning. And then, you know, I find it great as I'm waking up to uh, to do all my um Uh, social media type stuff on my phone. I know this is counterintuitive to what a lot of people say, get up, stretch, exercise. Um, And I do exercise in the morning, but I go through and say, oh, here's like the 15 people who want to connect with me on LinkedIn. I get all that done. I scroll through my LinkedIn feed and make any comments that I want, um, check out the analytics of things that I do, um, make any notes, my to-do list for the day, have a a light, um, something to eat, and then go work out and then um, come to work. Well, that's what I love about hearing from other people because there's no right, one right way to do it. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. because like I said, on the other, you see that is the social media getting it off your plate. You know, it's like yeah. you accomplished something. Absolutely. Because otherwise, for me, social media can suck up my entire day. So if I don't see a headline on a news story and immediately decide to post something on Facebook or LinkedIn, then I'll scroll all day and get easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what about, a? Um, do you have any type of uh, favorite charity or something you'd like to recommend to people to know about? Um, well, in the office here, um, we're huge fans of pets. Um, I believe um, that charity starts close to home. So I really encourage people to donate to causes um, in their own community or the communities that they serve. So we support local pet um, rescues here. I support um, the Ottawa Mission um, you know, for um, homelessness and anything to do with um, kids, kids education um, or homeless, homelessness for children in my own towns um, because I want the place that I live and work to be um, the best that it possibly can be. No, that's great. That's because um, lots of times we do, uh, which it's great to focus on national or global type of issues, but hmm. sometimes we do forget the, the at home ones. Yeah, absolutely. And they often are the ones that need the most help. Oh, yeah. Uh, because they, maybe they don't have the marketing budgets like the others. Yeah. Or the national scale that um, some of the bigger uh, charities do. I mean, I also run and I run a lot of races. So, I mean, I'm donating um, every time I run a race, you know, there's donations and causes that we, we contribute to um, yeah. because of that as well. Yeah, I like to watch people run. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I know sometimes I break up a sweat just, you know, watching and, and have to lie down and rest. It's my meditation. I know that yeah. meditation is all the rage right now. I'm an active meditator, not a passive meditator. And yeah. running, running is the thing that allows me to get a bad client out of my mind or to, or to think creatively or to come up with a solution. Yeah. Well, that's my, my wife's the same way. I mean, that is her, her zone out time, you know. Um, yeah. Well, what about like a, a takeaway message for the, the listeners, uh, either about, you know, business or life in general? Um, well, life in general, um, you know, I don't believe in the concept of balance per se, like a work-life balance. I believe you have one life and you need to learn how to integrate both your business and your life in order to create the best life possible. Um, and so, you know, from a work perspective, from a sales perspective, um, tying into that, I truly believe that your success is 100% up to you. You don't have to suffer these ups and downs, you know, highs and lows of sales. If you just spend a little bit more time prospecting every day, it reduces your stress, it normalizes your income, and then helps to contribute to a better life. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, well, what about, um, Colleen, give us uh, the best way to get in touch with you. 
Best way to stay in touch with me um, is to follow me online. Um, You're welcome to all the free resources on my website, which is engagedselling.com. And you can join me. I have a very active LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube pages, as well as an active blog, um, all which are available through links on my website and our newsletter as well. Well, thanks so much for joining us here on Sales Paradise. My pleasure. It was really a pleasure to be here. 